0: for Faith Talk 570 WTDN Pinellas Park, 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse
1: by Verse Ministries. What is God's wrath? It is his hatred towards sin, not the sinner, but sin. It is his settled indignation towards anything that violates His holy standards. God's hatred for sin is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness. That is, those who show a lack of reverence towards God, those who are disrespectful towards God, and unrighteousness of men. Unrighteousness means a disregard for doing His will. So you have a disregard for the person of God and a disregard for His rule or His will in their lives. God is angry with man's sin.
2: Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. There are two common misconceptions about God. One is that He is a celestial ogre with a big club who spends His time making us miserable. The other is that He is a doting elderly gentleman who smiles and turns a blind eye to our sin. What the Bible teaches is that God hates our sin with a consuming hatred, yet He loves us so much that He paid the penalty for our sin. To ignore our sin and to leave us to our own devices is not loving at all. His profound hatred against our sin is what makes his grace so wonderfully amazing. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is leading us in a series of lessons from the first three chapters of the Book of Romans. Pastor Steve has been serving as the teaching pastor at Lakeside in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Today is the start of a three-part message, the fourth message in this series about the wrath of God. Pastor Steve gave this sermon back in 1985, so you may notice that the news items and TV shows that he mentions to illustrate how ungodly humanity is are a little bit dated. But if you remember those headlines and programs, you will also notice that things have not improved. In fact, the entertainment industry seems to sink to new lows every year. Those are the details that make up a big picture illustrating the total depravity of the human race. God's Word confirms our observation that we need a Savior. If you have your Bible with you, open it to Romans chapter 1. Now, here is Pastor Steve.
1: Romans chapter 1, do we continue our study in this great letter, foundational letter? A grasp of Romans will give you a grasp of the gospel, the righteousness that is revealed in it. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. After a hard day at work last Tuesday, you wanted to have a nice, quiet, peaceful evening at home, being entertained by television. Here were some of the programs that were on the air that night and their plots. You could have watched the A-Team as they pursued a suspected murderer. Or you could have watched the show called Who's the Boss, in which a woman tried to remember what went on between her and a man last evening. Or you could have watched the show called Macruder and Loud, in which a policewoman assumed the role of a prostitute in an effort to reunite a runaway teenager with her parents. Now, perhaps you didn't find these shows about murder, sexual immorality, and prostitution entertaining, so you sat down in your favorite chair and began to read the newspaper. Here's what uh, what you would have found in the St. Pete Times that day, some of the stories. You would have seen a headline which said there were five killed in Lebanon. You would have also seen an article entitled The Sad Life of Rosa Swain. Rosa was an infant, who at two months of age had her legs broken by her mother. She was then placed in successive foster homes over the next 18 months. She finally found herself with a couple who said they wanted to adopt her. One month short of her third birthday, Rosa died from head injuries. Her mother is now charged with murder. You would have also seen an article which says it said Liberian executed an assassination attempt. Then there was the story about two people who were convicted of murdering a journalist. Another headline said state can't find help for disturbed man who killed wife. Also, there was an article about the FBI seeking a suspect in three robberies. And then if you said I had enough, I'm going to turn to the lighter side of things. If you turned over to the sports section, you would have even found an article about corruption in college basketball. Now, if you think that television programs and newspapers are a diversion of the harsh realities of life and you're mistaken, just the opposite. They are constant reminders to us that something is very, very wrong with society. In fact, you could say society is sick, it's gone mad, it's insane, and it's only going to get worse, not better. Why are things so messed up? why are things becoming why is it becoming rather a common thing to hear about murders, rapes, child abuse and things of that nature why are things so out of control listen, any thinking person has to ask that somewhere along their line in, in life has to ask questions of that nature but only those who understand the truth taught in Romans chapter 1 know the answers Romans chapter 1 really through chapter 3 know the answers. Everybody else seems to ask the questions, but we as believers in Christ are the only ones who can give a legitimate, reasonable explanation as to the sickness of our society. And where will it all end up when Romans chapter 1 contains those truths? Because in Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul paints a grim, morally grotesque Picture of heathen society, the pagan world, not because he's interested in reporting the horrors of his day, not because he's trying to shock anybody, and certainly not because he's trying to entertain anybody, but because he wants to clearly establish that pagans, that is people who have never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand guilty of rejecting God. They, as Paul says, are without excuse. And the larger picture of chapters 1 through 3 in Romans is that Paul wants the Christians at Rome to realize that everyone is unrighteous. Everyone is, is guilty. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, regardless of their backgrounds, regardless of their good morals, regardless of their religious training. And so he puts three classes of people on trial in order to show the evidence of their unrighteousness. On trial are the heathen. On trial, also the Gentile moralist, and also on trial is the religious Jew. But in chapter 1, Paul devotes that chapter from verses 8, verse 18, all the way to the end of it, verse 32, to the heathen, the pagan. The person that we are most naturally inclined to let off the hook because we say they don't have knowledge. How could God hold them responsible when when they've never heard of the Bible, when they've never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ? But interestingly enough, it's the first one that Paul nails to the wall because he says they do know the truth and they reject the truth. They reject the knowledge that they do have. Yes, they don't, they don't understand all the truths about the gospel. They've never even heard the gospel, but they have enough knowledge That if they pursued that knowledge, they would be a seeker of light, and God would give them more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge to the point that they came to faith in Christ. Now, Paul centers, and watch this, this is the whole key to the first chapter. Paul centers his arguments around the pagans, uh, concerning the pagans' guilt, around the expression, the wrath of God. And we said, and we've said it in in the last few weeks, that if you divide this chapter into an understanding of the wrath of God, you'll see that it unfolds three ways. First is the wrath of God defined. The wrath of God is defined by really by inference in, in verse 18. What is God's wrath? It is not specifically his punishments. That is a manifestation of God's wrath. God's wrath is his hatred towards sin, not the sinner. But sin, it is, if you want a a more vivid expression, it is his settled indignation towards anything that violates his holy standards. And that's what verse 18 is all about. It's revealed God's wrath. God's hatred hatred for sin is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness. That is, those who show a lack of reverence towards God. Those who are disrespectful towards God. And unrighteousness of men. Unrighteousness means a disregard for doing his will. So you have a disregard for the person of God and a disregard for his rule or his will in their lives. God is angry with man's sin. So the wrath of God is defined. But then Paul goes on further. He says the wrath of God is deserved. It isn't just that God is angry, but God has a right to be angry. God has a right to be angry with the sin of the pagan. In spite of the fact that he doesn't have full knowledge of Christ or the Word of God, he has truth. Verse 18 says, Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, they have truth. And this truth they hold down. That's what suppress means. They try to restrain it. They keep it back. They don't let it explode upon them and have any place in their lives. The wrath of God is deserved. What truth? Very quickly. Verse 19 he says, what's known about, about God, it's, it's evident to them. What's evident? Verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Paul says, the, the, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Nature shows that God is a person and that he's a powerful person. Paul says, nature shows men the truth of God. Men have a witness, a divine witness. Nature speaks loud and it speaks clearly that there is a God who is sovereign, who is all-powerful, who is not dependent on his creatures, who is good, who sends the rain, who sends the sunshine. All these things the, the world shows as God demonstrates who he is. But did they accept that? No. Verse 21 says... Or, even though they knew God, that is, he means they knew about God, they had the truth about God, they didn't honor him. It means they didn't glorify him or give thanks. When they should have bowed down and worshiped the Creator, they said, No, we'll have nothing to do with him. When this knowledge should have led them to a submission to his authority, to a reverence for him, to a respect for him, to an obedience towards him, they said, No. We're not going to do that, and what's more, we'll take of his provisions, but we're not going to be thankful. We don't recognize the source of these provisions. We call them Mother Nature and things like that. We don't recognize the glorious God that he is. And the Bible says as a result of this, verse 21, they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was dark, and they turned off God's light of revelation, and when they did that, they were in darkness. And the only thing they had was their human reasoning. In other words, man became a philosopher rather than a worshiper. And he began to invent his own ideas. And then the Bible says, look what happened, verse 22 professing to be wise, they became fools. There was an arrogance there. There was a uh, sophistication. There was a, a, a pseudo pride, which said, we're wise, we understand things, man is, is the master, man is the captain. The Bible says they really became fools, but they thought they were wise. In the name of intellectual honesty, they really became fools. And the greatest demonstration that they were fools is verse 23, because they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. The greatest demonstration that man is a fool spiritually and morally is that when he had the knowledge of the glorious God, he threw it away. And he started bowing down to images of men and animals and beasts and birds and serpents. Yes, God's wrath is is deserved because men have suppressed the truth that they had. And what, what Paul is really saying is that there is a downward path. One thing leads to another. There are consequences for rejecting the truth. And it's a downward path theologically. And when it finally ends up in idolatry, God pours out his wrath. That wrath that he has now becomes manifested, or the word that I'm using, it is displayed. So God's wrath is defined, it's deserved, and it's displayed. And so let's look at that. And we just began dealing with that two weeks ago before Easter break, the wrath of God displayed. But God doesn't display his wrath upon pagan society by by raining down fire and brimstone. That's not the normal way God does it. What does he do? He simply abandons man to do those things that are already in his heart. In fact, verse 24, 26, and 28 all use the same expression. God gave them up. Or really, you should say, God gave them over. It isn't just that God abandoned man. It's that God turned man over to his own sinful lusts and desires. God let man go his way. In other words, God takes his restraining hands off of mankind and he lets man suffer the consequences of his sin. And I want you to understand that because that is really key to this. That is, a, that is the key to understanding the sickness of our society. God has turned man over to his own sinful desires, and when man suffers the consequences of his sin, that is God's wrath being displayed. In other words, God punishes sin by sin. That's the wrath of God. It is a judicial judgment. It isn't just that God has turned his back. He's he's turned men over to inflict upon them pain, and the pain is the consequences of their own sin. In man's idolatry, They have cast God off and therefore God has turned them over to their own sinful desires and they have become prisoners of their own lust. And there is no escape apart from faith in Christ. And what Paul describes in verses 24 through 32 is man at his worst. It is man giving expression to what's already in his sinful heart and is allowed to break out openly openly because God's hands of restraints have been removed. And what is pagan society characterized by? How does God let them suffer? How does God pour out his wrath? Verses 24 and 25 say, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity or in uncleanness. And, and the root meaning of this word uncleanness is filth, dirt. God gave them over to over in the lust of their hearts to sexual filth is what it means. That their bodies might be dishonored among them. Why? He's just reemphasizing what he's already said. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What's the truth of God? The truth of God is that he is the one true glorious God that ought to be worshipped. The lie is that you could abandon God, that, that there is no God, such as the glorious one who has revealed himself in nature. And the lie is that Beasts are gods, serpents are gods, and idols are gods, and men are gods. Anything that that puts the true glorious God aside is the lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And Paul just can't help but say when he mentions the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And In the the sea of, of filth, Paul has to give praise to the one true God. This is man at his worst. God gave them over to do what their hearts secretly yearned to do. And what was that? We went over last time, Mark, chapter 7. You don't need to turn there, just let me mention this. What is is man's heart secretly yearned to do? Man is not good, He he is rotten. What man's heart secretly yearns to do is what Jesus said. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts and fornications and thefts and murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things, Jesus said, proceed from within and they defile men they're already there. And when God takes his hands of restraint off, they come out. The things that, that people desired secretly to do, finally, like Pandora's box opened and the filth, Pours out, and the result was that their bodies, Paul says, was were dishonored. History reveals that pagan, ancient pagan man and his world were characterized by sexual immorality, in which men and women dishonored their bodies by functioning on the level of animals, seeking physical gratification. You can read any historical book, and you would understand that. In fact, much of idolatrous Religious practice in the ancient world was centered around sexual impurity. They had sacred uh, prostitutes. They had much immorality that was centered around their temple worship, and that's why so much is given to in Paul's writings to uh, to warn believers not to have anything to do with that kind of lifestyle. First Thessalonians chapter four verse three, Paul says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then he says in verse 5, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, and he, and he means the pagans now, those who don't know God, who do not know God. Paul says you're not to, you're not to be like them anymore. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, Peter says, Look, that's over with. He became a Christian. It's to be different. First Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 13. They even had a saying, and I mentioned this the other week. They said, Look, it's just biological. Sex is just biological. It's it's the philosophy of Playboy magazine, just biological. They have this saying, verse 13, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. Kind of a little proverb, food for the stomach, stomach for food. And Paul says, but look, God's going to do away with both of them, yet the body is not for immorality. What is the body for? Paul goes on to say, it's for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. In other words, the body is to bring glory to God. It's created not for immorality, but to bring glory to him. And then I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And I think this is important. Ephesians chapter 5 is a very, very critical text in understanding where we're going this morning in our study of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is basically this message. Paul says, here's who you are in Christ. You are the redeemed. You are the forgiven. You are the ones who have been set apart. You are different. Here's how you are before God. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's basically saying, here's how you ought to behave before men. Based on what you are before God, now behave that way before men. And so he's constantly telling the Ephesians to be different, not to be the way they they used to be. And he says in chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, but do not let immorality or impurity or, or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. So, he said, I don't want to hear that there's one instance of it. He doesn't mean don't talk about it ever in a wholesome way. He means I, I don't want it to be even, even said that one is involved in that. And there must be no filthiness and silly to- a talk or coarse jesting. It means filthy jokes which are not fitting. But he said, you want to do something, then you give thanks, giving of thanks.
2: As we will see in the next verse by verse, if a Christ follower does sin, that is not the end of the world. It is serious business. But John said that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What the Apostle Paul intends here in the early chapters of Romans is to demonstrate that everyone deserves the wrath of God, which sets the stage for the glorious truth of Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse by Verse is a daily radio Bible class led by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a production of Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. You can listen again to today's class, download previous classes, or sign up for our free podcasting service at the website. That's versebyverseradio.org. One other website to remember is lakesidechristianschool.org. Lakeside operates one of the finest schools in the area. If you have school-aged children, I hope you'll check them out. That's lakesidechristianschool.org. If you would like to hear the entire message from which today's lesson was taken, you can order it on CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a leave your name and a number and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. As the lesson continues, Pastor Steve will be addressing one particular sin that Paul did not even want to talk about because it was so bad. But now it's popular to deny that that activity is a sin. It's called a lifestyle. And in our topsy-turvy society, we can tolerate any statement or action except those that affirm what the Bible says about this particular sin. Join us for the next Verse by Verse for a biblical perspective on an ancient perversion that has now become almost fashionable.
0: we're not in position for our breakthrough because when we should be sitting and serving we're searching. The blessings of God will chase you down so you've got to be in position and say you know what I'm going to settle myself I'm going to serve God.
1: Faith Talk
2: 570 and 910 WTBN